I remember like mentioning that I'm not really doing anything, and he was like, um, "Oh, then you'll probably come back then, right? Like you might come back." And I'm like, "Yeah, I mean it's an option, but I don't think so. Like I'm probably going to pursue something else." And he just didn't understand that. Like after six months, he thought the money's going to run out or something. Welcome to the On Fire Podcast, Episode One, with your hosts Matt and Kellen. We aspire for this to be a weekly podcast where we discuss topics like financial independence, life hacking, frugality, minimalism, and living within your means. And if you want that aspiration to become a reality, we need you guys to like, comment, and share this podcast. In today's episode, we interviewed Michael Rosehart, who retired at the age of 24 here in London, Ontario. Yeah, that was amazing. He had he had some awesome tips to share. He's actually a good friend of ours, so it was just it made sense for him to be our first guest. The guy's a wealth of knowledge. But before we get into Michael Rosehart's interview, what's new, Kellen? So I've been reading a website and podcast and blog called Afford Anything by a lady named Paula Pant. She actually had an episode on the Bigger Pockets podcast. That's how I found her. And her website is all about how you can afford anything, but not everything. And she says that that's true for not only your money, but your time, your focus, your energy, your attention. It's especially true for money. If you want to be able to travel the world, you can travel the world, but you're not going to be able to travel the world and have a big house and expensive car and have all these fancy dinners. So the idea is you can afford anything you want, but not everything you want. She also talks about how can we make smarter decisions about our money, our time and our life, and how can we align our daily behaviors and habits with the lifestyle we value most. So what's up with you, Matt? Well, I really wanted to highlight and just give a shout out to Nikki Calford, who posted a great vacation photo on the London on Fire Facebook group of her reading the Early Retirement Extreme book. Yeah. You know, you know I refer to this book as my Bible. And honestly, to see another convert added, it it just makes my heart so happy. And so I'm just going to read for you guys Nikki's post right now. Great vacation reading, so on point. Why do we all need a food processor, bread maker, table saw, or leaf blower? We really don't. Build a community and share. It does a few things. Eliminate spending money on things you use once in a blue moon. Less going into landfill when you are done with it. Less to store and maintain. Creates a community. And those with a better sense of community are said to be much happier. I'm always giving away copies of this book at the local London on Fire meetups. So if you're within driving distance, come on out and grab a copy. I've given away nearly 40 books of it so far. And I'm going to need to stock up soon, but that's a good problem. Okay, so Kellen, what's a recent deal you scored? Actually, uh, Elise Rosehart, big shout out to her. She posted on the London on Fire uh, Facebook group about a deal she got getting light bulbs at Canadian Tire, LED light bulbs. And I need a bunch of these for my rental properties. She got them for 33 cents a bulb. And I'm like, I need to go stock up on these. So I drove out there and some people might see the deal and buy, oh, I'm going to buy two boxes of light bulbs. But I was like, this is a time to stock up. So I bought 94 boxes, which was 282 bulbs. I went there with a big stack of coupons. The guy at checkout's like, oh, there's a, there's a maximum of five. And I'm like, come on, like, you can do this. And he, he rang them all through. So I, I left the store with a cart full of light bulbs. And uh, now I don't have to worry about keeping an eye out for a deal on those anymore. <laughs> That's epic. And so a recurring segment that we're hoping to do here on this podcast is a viewer tip of the week. So submit your tip or question on the London on Fire Facebook group or tag us on Instagram, on Fire Podcast, and we'll pick the best tip to feature on our next episode. And so now let's jump right into Michael Rosart's interview. Welcome to the On Fire Podcast. This is uh, Michael Rosart. He was born and raised, I believe, in London, Ontario. 
Uh, rapidly worked his way up at a tech company while working well below his means, banking his savings, investing in real estate until he retired at the age of 24. Both he and his wife quit their day jobs to further pursue real estate investing and raise their daughter as well as engage with the financial independence community. Thanks for joining us, Michael. So I think probably one of the first things our listeners are going to want to hear about is just let's get your backstory, get back to the roots. So how did you discover financial independence? Sure. Uh, and thanks for having me, guys. Um, yeah. Glad to be here. Uh, born in London, Ontario, raised just outside of Sarnia and Kamblaki, um, oh. and then moved back here for, for university. So <laughs> and I've been here ever since. Um, so yeah, like how would I kind of discover financial independence? Just sort of, uh, I don't know, like the, the topic I think came to me way back, like, you know, when I was a kid, I remember reading in a magazine once, um, there was like a Money Sense magazine or something to that effect. And um, I remember seeing this article and my dad was like, this guy, he's made it. And I remember my dad showed mm-hmm. me the article and I was reading it and it was like, um, this guy was like 30 years old and he had a family and um, he'd basically been, I think he had a successful like entrepreneurial business of some sort and he sold it and cashed out and put all of his money into a portfolio where uh, you know, he was able to just collect passive dividends and at 30 years old, he never had to work another day in his life. And it was not like there was no financial independence mentioned. It was just this guy is an author and a blog. He was like a writer at the time yeah. because blogging wasn't as huge at that time. But I remember thinking like, that's really cool. Um, that's neat. It'd be cool to do something like that, you know, and, and, and retire early. And I thought the only way to do that was to find a really good job or to be a super successful real estate entrepreneur. Um, mm-hmm. I think then like fast forward, maybe seven years from this article, um, cause I would have been like 10 years old reading that article. Now I'm like oh, wow. maybe 17 <laughs> in high school, right? Finishing or no 16, I guess I would have been in math class and we're like studying compound interest and the power of like how quickly money can grow. Right. Especially if yeah. you, you tweak up that interest rate. And I remember us doing some problems on that and just thinking like, wow, look at, look at the power of like how fast money really can grow. Um, if invested properly. And the more important part was that when you know, in these problems, like they would ask questions like, oh, John saved like $10 now. His friend did nothing for 15 years and then he, he saved $1,000. And it was like John who saved $100 like 15 years ago was actually further ahead than the guy who saved 1000 Yeah. And the guy did nothing, just saved 100 bucks, saved no more money for like 15 years or something. And I remember that just like impacting me. And of course, they used higher interest rates because everyone expected like 12% and 10% yeah. <laughs> um, when these problems were written, right? Um, but just an interesting concept to me that like, if you started early enough and you just made the commitment today to do that 10 years from now, you're going to be so much further ahead than if you didn't make that choice today. And so absolutely every, every opportunity, every time you take a step, um, you have an opportunity to, to climb towards financial independence. So that's kind of where it started from. And then really the, the topic of financial independence, the first time I kind of heard those words, I think, um, maybe I was 18 and I started reading, um, there were, there were some bloggers in the space and then it kind of led to me discovering early retirement extreme um, right. was, the, was kind of the first person that I'd read that was like wow this person is speaking gospel to me it feels like and but, Matt's Matt's a big fan of Jacob Lundfisker yeah <laughs> Jacob's I've, awesome yeah. I've always referred to ERE uh, the book as my bible so yeah absolutely know where you're coming from there just amazing seeing what he did and he breaks it down in five years and just really made it simple and understandable yes. oh I agree 100% and the how thing- many people that like read that blog are going to actually take that to heart and actually take like actually do that right it's rare to find people that actually do yeah, a lot of people read it and just, you know, not make any change in their life, right? Yeah. One simple change, like just making a conscious choice to cut cable or 
to live in a two-bedroom instead of a three-bedroom. Those right. small changes or like drive one car instead of two as a family. Absolutely. Like those small changes compound and they're so powerful over a lifetime. And so I, I think that's a, a big piece of it. Totally. And like on that note, so when it comes to income versus expenses, like where do you, what do you think is the most important thing when it comes to reaching financial independence? Do you think it's about getting, getting your income up as high as possible or do you think it's more about reducing your expenses? Yeah, I'm, I'm of two minds on that. Um, so having gone to the Richard Ivey School of Business and surrounded myself with you know, successful entrepreneurs and, and business folk, I think pretty much everyone from my graduating class all of them are cracking like six figures. They're all doing really, really well in their in their jobs. So I come from that, that business mindset with my business degree that um, it's all about increasing your income, right? And so uh, grow, grow income streams, you know, climb the corporate ladder. And so that's where I kind of came from yeah. um, early on. Um, however, the other side of me now, having read all these blogs and, and talked to a lot of people who um, are kind of like millionaires next door, not like I've even met some some people who are you know older who did this over forty years in their life, and uh, it was interesting in that they didn't necessarily have any successful real estate like careers or you know entrepreneurial gigs or mm-hmm. they didn't sell a massive company they just worked at a an average job they're like a plumber or something yeah and they just saved over a long time and uh, became like millionaires um, so the thing I like most about um, financial independence the thing that drew me in the mo- like that I loved so much was that it was a guaranteed way of, like, yes. you know, a lot of people preach this, like you can go chase real estate or you can go and start this internet business or you can go and do this or that. And you can do these things. Like mm-hmm. it's just, um, the risk level is so high. And I think maybe one in a hundred people actually make it really, really, um, successfully with a, like an internet startup company yeah. or like, you know, one of those types of, of high risk businesses. But this is something that like, if you work a job, and you live frugally, and you save, you will be retired in like five to yes. 10 years, guaranteed. And that's something that like, regardless of interest rates, regardless of what you invest in, regardless of anything except for just living frugally and working on a job, um, with 100% certainty, you can say, you will be financially independent. So I like that. It's a powerful thought, right? Right? Yeah, knowing you have control over your life like that. That control. Everyone has control over their expenses. When it comes to income, like, did you have a crazy expense, like crazy high paying job? Or did you do this mainly by keeping your expenses down and saving all of that money? Because at the end of the day, it's not how much you make, it's how much you save. And there are probably a lot of people out there that were making a whole lot more, but weren't saving anywhere near as much as you were. Yeah, um, definitely. Like my, my first job out of school, I was making, um, my, my salary was 50 grand. Yeah. Then uh, I got some raises. Like even at the end, I was only making 60, which is not... Yeah that's not a crazy high salary really like a lot of people make more than that and I think that's so I think that's what's so powerful about this is right like 60k uh, at his job retired at age 24 like what is the deal there right that's not about increasing your income at the end of the day you did this through reducing your expenses and then investing that money and in your case mainly through real estate we'll put a caveat in there that um, so if someone else started at 18 like I did, and so I graduated school like, debt-free, and, and you guys know that I, I hustled really hard and always had jobs throughout school. So I was actually making more than I was spending in tuition, and I got some scholarships and things. But mm-hmm. um, my income was like higher than average throughout those times until I graduated at 21. So from 17 to 21, um, I was probably making about 30 grand a year throughout the time I was going to awesome. school. Wow. So I started with uh, enough to buy a house. bought my first house at 19, right? So I started with a... Um, a real hunger in my belly so I was working really really hard to get scholarships and maintain that. yes yeah but I, I think the other caveat too is that so when I when I was 21 I didn't have a huge net worth and it was forecasted in I built it in Excel that for sure I was gonna be retired at 28 
Um, <laughs> so that was like the, the day was 28. And so it just so happened that I, I've done very, very well in real estate. And so you can't maybe replicate those returns for everyone. Not everyone wants to put in that. But by 28. But by 28 for sure. Like if I did nothing, no real estate investing at all, and got like a 6% rate of return, 28 I'd be FI. So there's yeah. like, yeah, I combined That's... multiple avenues to get to financial independence even quicker, but I would have been financially independent regardless of any... That's you know, awesome. Outcomes. Yeah, that's, that's the kind of that's really piece. awesome. And so I think you've probably enticed our listeners a fair bit with uh, your whole story of being retired by 24 and guaranteed by 28. So paint us a picture. What's your living situation look like? We know recently you went through a bit of a downsize. Yeah, yeah. So currently I'm living in a, a rental property. Well, it's my house now, but it was a rental property for me. It was a property that I duplexed um, myself there, and it's got a um, a three bedroom like bungalow layout on the main floor and then a two bedroom um, basement apartment with a separate entrance um, off the side of the driveway there. So um, we get the backyard is the agreement. And in our backyard, we have a little tiny house that I built. Um, so that's what I call like our tiny guest house. That's awesome. Um, it's super awesome. Can't wait to get a toilet in there. So it's like Airbnb potential. So follow me when, when I try an Airbnb it. I put it up last night actually for 20 Really? That's 28 awesome. bucks a night. The first person that stays gets 25% off. That's so, awesome. Um, Got to get some good reviews built up. That's the key, right? So, so discount it in the beginning. And it's not about clearly not about the money. Like this is no. just about doing it, right? It's just a cool experiment. Just right? a proof of concept. Yeah. So I'm living in in this. Uh, it's a thousand square feet. We have a nice three bedroom um, house, little pantry with a sliding barn doors, some cool accents. I really like the place, and I'm yeah. happier in this house than I was in my previous situation, which I'll, I'll talk about yeah. a little bit. Um, we in 2014 um, put a deposit on a lot. We wanted to build our dream house. We're like, oh, this is, you know, we're going to have a, we were planning to have, have Emma before Emma was born. Mm-hmm. We thought we're going to build this dream house. And we're going to build this dream life. And, uh, it was what a, uh, five bedroom, four bath, um, house, two car oversized garage, great neighborhood. Um, yeah. just everything, you know, it was super modern inside, like the nine foot vaulted ceiling and the, um, I feel like, was that something that made you happier that you think while you were living in there? No. So that's what I was going to touch on <laughs> and why I made the choice to downsize in uh, this year, actually. Just finally sold in June. Um, we made a conscious choice when we built it that we were going to build it and always have an exit opportunity because I watched my dad build a house and pour in all of his unique details um, such that, um, you know, what we find is that you can't really resell it for what you bought it for. But if you if you make only investment decisions, so you don't, you don't customize it to the taste of yourself, you leave it generic and think, will this add resale value? Will this not add resale value? And so we made it a, a conscious choice to build the house that would sell for more money. So we were lucky enough to cash out and, and make a good amount of money. It was, it was really nice to be able to downsize because living in a house that size, um, I would spend like five hours on a Saturday just cleaning it, right? With, yeah. with at least having like four yeah. or five bathrooms to clean. It's just a pain. Well, I don't even think you mentioned that in this house you're living in now, it's not only smaller, but you have tenants in the, in the basement paying the mortgage, right? Yeah, exactly. So I, yeah, we rent out the basement and we're living on, on the top, the top level, the main floor. We're really happy living mortgage free. In fact, the, the tenants pay two thirds of the internet because they wanted a, an expensive internet package. They pay like most of the internet. Um, they cover all of my mortgage and my property taxes. So I'm literally, literally living there for utilities. Yeah. Um, that's sweet. That is like, sweet. Yeah. That feeling. I wake up in the morning. I don't care. You know what other whatever's happened in the day. You before. feel good because you know you're living for free. And yeah. to give listeners some like some more context here, we're shooting this podcast right now on a property that I own, a duplex where I also live for free. So I have tenants on the other side that pay my mortgage, property tax, and insurance as well. 
And that's a common theme amongst many, many people who are either financially independent already or are shooting for it. It's about reducing your living expenses because that's, that's, that's generally your most expensive uh, part of your budget is like mm-hmm. your, your mortgage or your rent. If you can cut out six, seven, eight, nine, maybe well over a thousand dollars in certain cities um, out of your, out of your month, monthly budget, like that's going to get you to financial independence so much sooner. And especially if you're planning on, you know, doing that into retirement, finding a duplex that maybe has a nice, like a large unit, it doesn't necessarily feel like you're living with other tenants. You have your own unit by yourself and, you know, very separate from the rest of your tenants. That's and ours. so yeah. if that sounds really enticing to any of our listeners, and this is kind of a new concept for you, what you're going to want to Google right now is house hacking. Yes. yes. That's the term that's used throughout the fire community house as well hacking. as the real estate community, house hacking. So and make you sure you dive into house, that. Join in our, our London on Fire group and you can see I made a post a few months back on rent hacking, I called it. Um, so if you, can, if you don't have a down payment, you say, oh, you know what, I'd love to house hack, but I don't have you know, 30 grand to go put a down payment on a house or I don't want that responsibility of being, being the, you know, buying a house and having a mortgage mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, you can make the choice to house hack, right? So you yes. go rent a four bedroom house from a landlord and um, say, you know, market value is 1200 and rent out three of the rooms, take the smallest room and potentially generate more than the rent that you're paying by charging your roommates fair market value for each bedroom. I you love take it. on the risk, but at the end of the day, um, I think it's free. great from that perspective. As long as I'm not the landlord, I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, like if someone approached me and I, I like say I had a, I was renting yeah. out of the bedroom. Yeah. Uh, I have a property I do that with now. And they said, Hey, I'd love to rent this house. Um, I'll take 300 bucks off discount, but I'll take the whole house instead of renting by the room. Right now I would sign a lease. Yeah. And they were and I'm like, you're responsible. You can be first and last month's rent. If you want to rent it to your friends or whatever and collect rent from each room, power to you to sublet that. Yeah. I, I would do that. And I, I'm a landlord of, yeah. of you know, a dozen properties. Yeah, so yeah. If you get a good if you get a good People will, can will, that. will take that and, and do that. So there are opportunities. That's the first thing, right? So if you want to become financially independent and you're just starting on this path right now, so if you're listening, you're like, I would love to become financially independent five years from now. Where do I get started? Yeah. Um, take a look at where you're spending, right? The first place is probably going to be your your car. Second place is going to, or first place is going to be your housing. Second place is going to be your transportation. Third is going to be like food, um, consumables, spending, yeah. like eating out, that that kind of thing. Yes. Um, so it's just focusing on those big areas and making those conscious choices. And maybe you start rent hacking and then eventually go buy a duplex and upgrade your lifestyle a little bit and then buy an even nicer duplex and live in the, the nicer unit like I do and rent out the the lower unit. That's some of the best advice I could think of. Yeah, exactly. So on that note about making smart purchases, like what goes through your mind when you're making a purchase? So you're at, you're at Walmart or you're at uh, Rona getting some rental, getting some stuff for your rental property or you're at grocery shopping or you're going to a restaurant. What goes through your mind when you, before you make a purchase or before you head out to go buy something? Yeah. So, um, for me, it's always about value, right? At the end of the day, um, I try to find and buy things that are that are of value. So I don't like to buy cheap items as much as I like to buy items that are going to last. Um, because it's all about the, you know, I look at something, uh, the life of the item. Um, you take the cost of the item divided by its life. And you mm-hmm. get basically um, a certain average cost of that item. If you buy a cheap item and it only lasts a year, maybe you save five, ten bucks. But the value isn't as good as buying like a nice pair of shoes or something. Um, it's sometimes yeah. worth it to invest in quality items. But the first question you have to ask yourself is, do I need this item? And then like right now, yeah. and then if yes, then where's the best place I can get this item from? Um, and so often I'll open up like my flip app, which is a great app I, I love to use. You can just search an item like lettuce and I'll bring up everywhere the lettuce is on sale. Other times, you know, I'll just do a quick Google search. If I'm going to a restaurant or something, 
just check, right? A lot of people just don't spend five seconds to go on their phone and see, hey, is there a promotion I can I can get in on? Is there a, you know a club I can join that'll give me you know ten bucks off my meal or something? Interesting. Um, so we're going to switch gears a little bit and jump into what's going to be a reoccurring segment here on the On Fire podcast, and that's spreadsheet junkies. So there's people that track their spending and there's people that track their net worth. Which are you and why? Uh, I'm definitely a net worth tracker. Uh, I just don't have the energy to track my expenses. It's very tedious. Um, it's a lot. In the beginning, I can see the value in it. But once you've audited yourself once and you know roughly, like I know what I'm spending without even tracking it. I could probably do a budget that's within a couple hundred dollars just off the top of my head, right? Um, definitely a net worth junkie. I get a lot of, um, there was a study I read once that psychologically that the best way to spend your money is to not spend it. Um, people get the most happiness from looking at an investment account or a bank account full of money. Um, it actually brings more psychological happiness than buying a thing with that money mm-hmm. or even an experience with that money. Well, I think there's somebody who said too for scratching the itch when it comes to buying investments or buying real estate. Yeah. Like you're, you honestly, sometimes you get so sick of spending money that you stop, you, you don't want to spend money on yourself anymore. You've just purchased another thousand dollars in your uh, like ETFs or that kind of thing. There's something to be said for scratching that itch and tracking your net worth is a nice way to, to keep track of everything at a high level without necessarily having to dive into all yep. the minutia. I um, often like when I do my goal setting at the end of the night, every night I do a bit of journaling and goal setting for like five or 10 minutes. And I usually do it on paper, but I'll log in my computer to facilitate this journaling session. And I bring up my net worth statement and I look at all of my assets and look at all my liabilities. And it helps me focus on these are the debts I want to pay down. You know, I've I borrowed a lot of money to buy properties and things like that. But yeah, and then these are the assets that I'm working on here are my goals for the future. And so I just find net worth um, is a way that I kind of benchmark my success around you know, how I, how I, well I'm saving. So another thing uh, that we want to do kind of another reoccurring segment is like, what's a, what's a guilty pleasure of yours? Do you have a guilty pleasure? If, if you have one. Yeah, I have guilty pleasures. Um, a big one for me is a uh, Haagen-Dazs ice cream. <laughs> I knew I was going to say that. I did. <laughs> yeah. Haagen-Dazs ice cream is a big one for me. Um, yeah. I always buy it on sale. So like I'll find it for like oh, $4.98 yeah. or 477 or 444 and I'll price match it 10% student discount. So I'm doing my best to optimize the purchase. Yeah. I'm big. People know me know I'm big on optimization. Yeah. Like everything I do, I try to optimize and it's to my detriment sometimes because I get home at 11 o'clock at night <laughs> trying to optimize this stuff. But uh, yeah, guilty pleasure for me is Haagen-Dazs and potato chips. I get like 97 cents uh, for a potato, bag of potato chips at uh, Walmart. So those two are my guilty pleasures. Yeah. Um, Used to be gaming for me. I don't. I don't game much anymore. But I'd like to get back into that. Interesting. It used to be a guilty pleasure of mine about like you know video games that I liked or that kind of thing. But. Interesting. Um, and then so let's talk about biggest mistakes. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of people constantly fear on their journey towards fire about making a mistake. That's you know I guess we often have a tendency on dwelling on the negative, right? Um, and we don't want you to dwell, but. Share one of your experiences where maybe you didn't act in an optimal way or something that you kind of look back on and think, hmm, maybe I should have done that differently. There's a lot of those in my life. Um, what would be, a, I've made lots of mistakes. Um, that's part of the, the experimentation. So you can make process. mistakes and yet still retire by 24? <laughs> I think a lot of our listeners would love to hear that. <laughs> yeah. So. What are some big financial mistakes you made? Um, going to the Richard Ivy School of Business. Mm. <laughs> no, <laughs> Shots don't, let fired. Any, don't let any alumni hear that. <laughs> um, Cut that out. They're gonna take my Ivy <laughs> ring from me. Um, no, so you know, it, I think that it takes um, a certain type of person um, to benefit from. Don't get me wrong; the education 
fantastic. The case study method of, of learning is world-class. The education I received there was better than the education I received at Western, like at least two or three times. But the cost, so the question was like 26,500 plus books um, every year, whereas Western was like 62. How many years is that? Two years, um, right? Two years of the high expenses, yeah. Um, so it's like an extra basically like 50 grand. And you look at the opportunity cost of that money, right? So over like 30 years from now, that 50 grand is like, half a million or like a million. And that'll be a lot to save when you're 50, um, yeah. several years of your working life. Now it's justified because you start off making, if you look at all the salary reports that Ivy pumps out, their, their graduates are doing 30, 40% better. Um, you know, in 20 years, their graduates are doing two, 300% better on average. Um, so for you, the reason that you kind of see it as a mistake is because you didn't necessarily want to pursue that goal that in your life, right? Bingo. You decided I wanted to go and to like double down on real estate and this education isn't necessarily what you needed to do that for people that do want to go into business and want to start like become entrepreneurs and uh, maybe work in companies and work their way up. Having that education might be valuable, but if it doesn't line up with your end goals, then I ran the numbers. And if I had spent, if I just went and got like a BMOS um, degree at Western, which is like the, the business management at Western, as opposed to, to going to Ivy, probably could have got a similar paying job. Um, like I probably would have stayed at KPMG and, and, and taken the offer they would have made me right and um, did the accounting stream and finished up and, and got my C, CA, um, which is now the CPA. Um, that's probably what I would have done, right? If you follow that scenario, and I would have been 50 grand ahead that I would have invested right at 21, right? So, or I even paid the tuition probably at 20. So I would have invested that additional income and it would have been, if you follow my track record through real estate, I probably would have done about five, four or five times on that original capital. Mm -hmm. um, so I could have had like 200 grand right now. Did I get 200 grand of value from, from Ivy? It's hard to say. If I had worked a long career, like you were saying, the payback is for sure. Like, right. Guaranteed many times over. But for someone who doesn't want to climb the corporate ladder, um, as an entrepreneur, for someone who's retiring early, uh, investing a lot in, in even in like a, a post-secondary education at all, can be a bad financial mistake. That doesn't mean it's a bad mistake in general if you got a lot of good experience out of it. I think, yeah, like there's definitely education that can be real, that can be very valuable. Um, some of the things that come to my mind are things like computer science. If you want to become a programmer, you know, getting a degree is really valuable to a lot of those kind of companies. Um, not necessary, but usually quite valuable. Obviously, if you want to get into healthcare, nursing, any of that kind of stuff, like there's, there are definitely fields where education is where education is imperative. Um, yeah. But there are definitely degrees out there that aren't necessarily going to get you, aren't going to bring you a lot of value. So I can see how, you know, if you want to become an entrepreneur, like maybe you could, th you could rethink what it is you want to do when it comes to your education. Absolutely. I think the key is just not falling into the default assumption that law society has that more education is always better. Yeah. I think that's the big takeaway from this. And I think that's why we're seeing certain things like a resurgence in the trades or where they're getting more respect. Yeah. I like personally, I found a lot of value from my education. Uh, I did a four year computer science undergrad. It got me into a job where I was making pretty decent money, nothing crazy as well, but it got me into a position where I was able to save, live frugally and, and then, uh, start investing further from there. Could, could you have, and I run this scenario myself because I have a friend um, back in university, we used to argue about these things like whether an MBA was worthwhile or, you know, what's the difference in, in going to trades, you know, taking a, a co-op in your last year of high school and then basically having a year experience and going into a trade versus going to university, right? And you have to look at the opportunity cost. So the trades part, if you run the numbers, um, like 99 times out of 100, the trades person actually wins financially. Um, 
because they have that huge start, right? So if you run the numbers and it looks like, let's say you're making 45, 50 grand a year, which is like 20 something dollars an hour in a trade, which is pretty reasonable um, for a plumber, electrician, and like any decent trade, even carpenters. Um, by the time you're 22, right? The university student hypothetically has debt incurred and the, the tradesperson is already, if they had saved and lived like a student throughout the, those four years, let's say the student lifestyle was the same, they both lived like students, and they're already working for four or five years. They're now at a hiring potential upon graduation. Like someone with four or five years experience in a trade is better than someone with a degree typically. They're both probably making 60 or something grand a year. So the income earning potential uh, in the long term with the university uh, person is supposed to you know, grow so it's double or maybe even triple what a tradesperson can make. I don't know if that's true. You'd have to be making a lot of money uh, with mm -hmm. a university degree to make more than a, a tradesperson these days. But um, if you run the numbers and you compound that opportunity cost, like that 250 grand that they started with extra, basically, and the university person doesn't pull ahead, like it takes them a while to pull ahead, about like 25 or 26, they start to pull ahead a little bit, but that difference isn't enough to justify the quarter million that they've, they had uh, mm -hmm. lost an opportunity cost is what we call it. So yeah. I'm very much like an Excel junkie. So I would sit there and we crunch numbers and like, basically if you want to be financially independent, don't go to university. <laughs> um, if that was your sole goal and you like, you didn't like whatever job you're going to do. Like for, for me, I didn't enjoy working in tech mm -hmm. um, as a consultant. I, there was no job really that was satisfying for me. I wanted to be financially independent. That was my goal. So what about your, when it came to your family and friends, like what did they think when you started talking about fire? <laughs> so it can uh, be a difficult subject for a lot of people to approach with yeah. their close family members. Yeah. Close friends. Um, I, I don't think everyone understands it first off. Right. And they don't mm -hmm. truly understand that they, they, understand bits and pieces of it and so i think that leads to a lot of confusion and a lot of um the other thing is like upset a lot of people don't like um any like diversion from the, the status quo they want you they want you to they have this image of what you know success is and if you don't fit into that box yes um it's hard for them to to relate and to understand and to approve so my friends and family um most of my friends were just like what and now I have great friends that, that understand financial independence and all of my friends now understand where I'm coming from because I spent hours explaining it to them if they don't know or sent them blog articles or yeah. that type of thing. Well, um, I think people need a proof of concept. You can talk about these yeah. things. It sounds crazy. But if you sit down and start looking at the math, maybe start looking at some people that have done it you start realizing, hey, this is actually possible, right? Yeah. And like it starts becoming this, it starts becoming a goal you can actually chase. And so you're kind of the living proof of concept. So what did people say when you quit? So I don't know, people, to be honest with you, so I, I can go back two years at a Christmas gathering, we were discussing the merits of financial independence and how it's possible to live on two grand a month. Um, and Elisa's aunt was there and we were we had a screaming match. It got to screaming match <laughs> to the point where like we don't even talk at gatherings now. And like, because I've made financial independence, we barely talk. Um, I think it, it may be, there, like people who, who really were opposed to this and said it's impossible, you cannot do it. I've been working for 35 years saving and I make like 100 grand a year and I cannot do it. How could I not do it in 35 years? You can't do it in five. There's no way, it's impossible. Those haters, um, they just don't even want to acknowledge me <laughs> because I'm, I'm everything that they couldn't, that well, they said it, was impossible. It is difficult from their perspective, right? It's just such a mind shift and where right? they're their perspective currently is yeah. um and it is tough because I, I think understand, some like, people do see it as a value judgment on themselves others actions when it really isn't um right yeah just acknowledge that it's possible and like so for those people out there that are haters on uh, financial independence um 
I, they I won't be this guys. far into the podcast. Yeah, you won't be in this. You won't be listening to this podcast. But if you know those people, like, don't take it to heart. They just don't understand. I think. So, what about your relationship, uh, like, with your with your now wife? Like, how how was the how was the situation? That like, was she on board with this right from the beginning? Was there uh, like, how, how did that go? Uh, yeah, she, my wife's very supportive. Like everyone knows, that Elise is really supportive. Um, I wouldn't be where I am today without her support. Um, there's been a lot of nights where I push to like midnight, right? Just going hard, um, grinding mm-hmm. the, the side hustle real estate on top of the full-time job. So super supportive in everything I've done. Um, she's right there with me. Same thing is true with financial independence. In the beginning, I think it was hard for her to, to wrap her head around the how it works, right? Just the, like the number side of it because she's not really a, a quant heavy type of what, person. What was it that convinced her to, to jump on board with you on this? I think the idea that, um, and I, I, would, I would position it in ways that align to her, right? So... Um, for instance, she, she really enjoyed like, um, horseback riding. I could position to her that, Hey, look, look at this life we could build for ourselves and how much happier we could be if you had more time to, to do this. If you didn't have to be working, mm-hmm. um, or like, you know, there's an awesome trip to go go on. I'd like, imagine if we could, instead of going this really expensive, like one week trip, we just saved for a little while, delayed it for a year or two and went for like two months. Yeah. It's awesome. Like. And I can imagine like the ability to raise your daughter without having to go to the nine to five, both of you, right? Like that's gotta be. Yeah. So that came on later. We weren't that serious in the beginning when I was chasing financial independence, but once like when we were married, um, we got married in 2014 and we've been together like eight or nine years, high school sweethearts. So, um, I should know that, right? I think it's like nine years, (laughs) nine years this November. But anyway, um, I think she liked the idea when we got married, we went heavier into the, into the fire. Like I, I really cranked up the. The savings rates and I made decisions to work really hard I was like I want to achieve financial independence like now like I want it I was like 22 and I'm like I want this now yeah like, I'm a year into working and I hate it <laughs> uh, I'll do anything to get out of this and so it's really actually it's really awesome if you have a job that you don't love and like I'm it's not good a, motivation it's, right? yeah like yeah. I get out, getting up at like seven in the morning I hated it so for me it was a huge motivator to work till midnight to push so I didn't have to do that and now I sleep in every day to like pass yeah and, and this this is like that's not necessarily what everyone needs right there's some people that are quite happy with their job and they're not necessarily looking to retire early but they are looking for financial independence they like the idea of having that what we've heard is called fu money right like you can kind of you know you can work hard at your job but you, you don't have to, you know that at the end of the day, if you needed to leave, you'd be able to. You're not, you know, on, you're not on your hands, you're not like on your knees, uh, like w- waiting for the next paycheck in order to survive. Yeah. Um, so like the idea of being financially independent and still working is totally reasonable. And I think there's a lot of people I know in my life that are looking for that type of thing in their life because they, they don't mind their job, right? Yeah. And so just one other point I want to really reiterate that Michael brought up that I think is huge and absolutely critical to getting someone else, whether it be a spouse or a friend or a family member on board with the idea of financial independence is selling the benefits, not the sacrifices. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. At the end of the day, budgeting or being uh, intelligent with your money is important to it, but that's not how you're going to sell the sexiness. You need to sell the sizzle, right? Yes, not the sacrifices. Yeah. And I think when she saw that we were like when we cracked six figures for the first time in our net worth, that was a big thing. It's like, wow, we have a hundred thousand dollars. I don't come from a lot. Like, you know, I was earning more than both my parents um, in yeah. my early twenties. Right. So like, I don't come yeah. from a lot of wealth and I surpassed that, um, like mentality in my brain that like it, it felt like it was impossible to, to raise your, your social status. And so realizing that financial independence and just saving and living frugally allowed us to, our first hundred grand didn't come from real estate at all. It just came from saving really, really hard. Yeah. Um, so I built up the gunpowder to start doing the real estate thing. But um, regardless of that, I, I think the biggest piece is just that 
I don't know, a lot of, and I still, I still rattle with this idea that like, when I remember having those conversations with people who are still against financial independence and they'd say things like, you have a daughter, like, why aren't you going out and getting a job and working extra hard so she can have all of her education, you know, hundred percent paid for to go to Harvard for a quarter million dollars. And like, don't you want to make sure that she can go on like trips and go to private schools? And like, don't you want to make sure that she has the best neighborhood to grow up in? Like, don't you want to make sure you have that million dollar house in that million dollar neighborhood? So she's surrounded by other super successful kids. Yeah. And like, why would you be selfish and not work so that she could have yeah. more? And that still nags at me a little bit, right? Because I want to provide the best for my daughter. But I believe giving her our time and physically being there every day for my daughter. Yes. Then, then being gone grinding and, and her growing up just with a, a pile of money. I feel like a, a little bit of both is key, right? Having, yeah. like we're not and poor by any means. So. No, and that's a really interesting concept. And we definitely need to get you and Elise on the show sometime just Together, to talk absolutely. about that. Because I think that... There's a lot of couples that do struggle with these issues, particularly when they are trying to raise a, a young family. But so we're going to jump over to another regular feature of this show. And in this case, it's Ask a Mustachian. So we're going to actually jump over to the Mr. Money Mustache forums and just look through the Ask a Mustachian section. And so the question I picked today was, does your work have to make a difference? It's a good question. Um, Today, for me, yes. Um, on my journey to reach financial independence, I would have done anything to reach financial independence. And so I didn't believe that what I was doing made a difference. I didn't believe that going in and consulting for companies really made a difference at the end of the day. Um, helping them come to decisions that they could have come to on their own as a consultant. So I didn't feel like I was really uh, adding a whole ton of, of real value. Um, it, so, it was about the bottom dollar in the beginning. But now as someone who's financially independent, I have the flexibility to choose what I do with my life. And so, um, of course, it's not really about the money as much as it is about making an impact. And it's as much about, you know, my, my mental psyche, keeping a healthy mental psyche and, um, you know, feeling good about what I'm doing as it is about actually doing something to keep me busy. Well, you, once you get your finances, uh, like, you know, in a state where you're happy, that's when you start thinking, hey, like, what else... What else is there to life, right? Like, and you start looking at other people and thinking, hey, wouldn't it be great to help level them up? And I mean, we've seen a lot of that in our uh, London on Fire um, local community, right? So yeah. we have meetup groups once a month and we've had amazing people come out and everyone's been inspired by your story and Matt's story and everybody else that's involved in this. Yeah, I think it's a good point, right? In that like a lot of us, once you reach financial independence, it, you get a lot of, it feels really good and you get a lot of value from helping other people by mentoring them. Um, everyone should have a mentor. Everyone should be mentoring. Actually, I was having a conversation with Dylan um, the other day about happiness, right? And when you get into financial independence and, you, and you're not really working as much and you have a bit of time to think through you know, things and take a minute to breathe, you get into some dark places and you really start thinking about like, the philosophy and the, you know, what is the meaning of life and, and these types of things. So mm -hmm. I spent a lot of time thinking about that more recently and talking about happiness, right? And um, yeah, I absolutely know where you're coming from. And I even did a video on my YouTube channel about the dark side of financial independence. Um, mm -hmm. And I completely understand what you're saying. And yet it's still, at the end of the day, it's a quality problem to have, right? It is a where you're really problem. diving into the human condition and trying to really determine what do you want to do with your life and not have that just be an answer for a job category, but an actual philosophy towards life. Yeah. yeah. It reminds me, I mean, we talked about this kind of in our pilot episode of the London on Fire podcast, 
and uh, we talked about the board game that we went and played um, called Cash Flow. I think it was called Cash Flow. I need to play this game. Yeah, and like the idea of identifying what your what your passions are and like what your real like uh, what your real goals are in life versus just um, versus just like how are you going to make money? How are you going to get to that financially independent state? Because a lot of people will get there and then go, now what? And uh, I think it's important that along this journey, figure out what it is what it is that's motivating you and what it is you want to be spending your time on and uh, what your real passions are. I think like another piece, um, the, the point Dylan, Dylan asked me a question about like my level of happiness. He's like, are you a lot happier now than what you were? And it was a really interesting question because I thought about it and I thought, you know, um, yes, the freedom has made me happier, but, and he's like, what was the, what was the mark? Like, what was the reason that, that you were, um, happier and, and you know what it didn't come down it wasn't even really about the financial independence as much as it was about the community um, mm-hmm. two years ago I was grinding the same as I was you know a year ago and a year ago I started meeting all of you guys right yeah and we, we formed this this community of, of people who are also chasing financial independence who value frugality who value all the same qualities that I have mm-hmm. um, in, in my life right and, and all those pieces that are in my life and that support network is so huge I remember being so alone year and a half ago so if you're just stumbling on this and you're alone where i was two years ago and you just knew you weren't happy with your job you didn't know what the answer was you found these guys online that was sort of your community right i i had this book that i'd read you know um early retirement extreme your community is on a computer but yeah like like for me and and i I believe for matt as well finding that community just absolutely changed my life yeah Um, me too just having people first of all to vent to about what your problems are talk to them about your goals just just watching what they're doing and getting inspired by it 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 yeah the words can barely describe it to be honest but if you haven't found your tribe in person don't be afraid to go out there and try and create it mm-hmm. you know at the end of the day that's how london on fire came together was just a couple of guys deciding like there's more of us out here yeah we just need to raise a banner yeah. and, and i can't believe to it. the number of people that come out that are like, I've been doing this alone for years or like maybe a year or, or multiple years. And they're like, I'm a big fan of Mr. Money Mustache, but I've never met anyone else that, that thinks the way I think. And everyone in my life thinks I'm crazy. And then they come out and they meet other, other people that are like-minded and they, and it's just, when you, when you've had the, when you've had the strength to keep pushing through that period of loneliness, and then all of a sudden you're, you're met with a group of other people that are on the same page. The, the momentum that you've built from from all of that pushing now you have all these people pushing with you like you yeah you just see massive acceleration so if you don't have a community in your uh if you don't have a local like financial independence uh community or friends that are on board with you start your own or reach out to us and and we'll be happy to talk to you about how to get that kind of thing started um or if you're in london definitely come out to our london on fire meetups absolutely so i guess in summary what we're saying is your job doesn't have to make a difference you can find meaning outside of it through a community yes so another uh, segment we wanted to do is uh, hop on over to the financial independence subreddit and uh on their daily financial independence discussion thread somebody asked somebody said Today's my day. I'm downsizing from a one bedroom to a uh, to a two or from a to a two bedroom and taking on a roommate. I'll save about six hundred dollars a month and increase my savings rate by over ten percent. What are your thoughts on that? I find it's interesting that they're downsizing from a one bedroom to a two bedroom. <laughs> so they're upsizing, <laughs> but they're, they're taking downsizing. a roommate. Yeah, true. Um, so very, they're very going smart. from living by themselves yeah. to shared. No, I just find it interesting they use the word downsizing. Um, yeah, they're downsizing their expenses. We're probably upsizing the amount of square footage that they share now. Sounds like a win-win. Uh, that's a win-win to me. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
that's awesome. I, you know, it's I another way, right? Savings yeah. rates is really important. So they're, you can see that they're, they're uh, really tracking their savings rates. They're up, you know, at least 10% on, in that respect. So that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Like, like we talk about the idea of buying a duplex or something like that, but you don't even necessarily need to do that. Even if you're renting, just maybe go rent a two bedroom and split it with somebody. Or if you're like, I mean, if you're lucky enough to be living in a situation where you can split a one bedroom with a significant other, like that's another great way to save a lot of money because splitting a one bedroom apartment is going to be probably one of the least expensive ways you can possibly live. And renting you have the advantage of being able to live close to your work bike to work walk to work not not have to own a vehicle save on all that insurance share um, the internet you know share exactly. some food expenses and so before we jump over to the next question do you want to just give a shout out to that reddit user yeah yeah destiny bond on uh, on reddit thanks for that thanks for that comment uh, yeah and we salute you destiny you're definitely doing the we like your uh, approach yeah that's awesome so next question for you michael uh this was all overnight, right? It just fell together for you? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, the short answer is no. Um, it's a lot of premeditation and planning. Um, while I was in school, I didn't have the earning power to really make a huge difference. I had enough that I, I was just every year scraping by to get my tuition paid, and then I would get the refunds through the scholarships. And it was just like a survival mode that I knew I didn't want to be do, didn't want to live the life that you know my parents had lived, where it was paycheck to paycheck. And a lot of people live that way, right? Where it's just surviving to the next pay, surviving. And to me, it just feels like just endless and, and empty to be surviving always and having to hunt just to get to survive. I, you know, it just, it just felt wrong. So mm -hmm. for me, it was about a big, I built this plan. Um, I actually have it in, in, in Excel and I submitted it in my wealth management class as my final project about like how I'd be financially independent and retire early. And I remember some of the feedback being um, that it was a little too, ex maybe a little too extreme. So I actually changed some of it and, and made it longer and I did better. I have tabs that are like income forecasting. Where I was forecasting my income until I was like 38 with the ta then the tax implications all the way down, averaging RRSP contributions, TFSA contributions, wow. rolling into a net worth plan that forecasted about 27, 28 retirement age, right? And that was the least, you know, with her job and, and mine with my job and us working together on that goal. Yeah. And so yeah, I built the plan. Um, it didn't happen overnight. It, the plan was it was going to take, when I built the first Excel, it, you know, I think the first iterations of the first versions were one or two tabs. And by the end, it's like, the one I have now is like 35 tabs. <laughs> you guys take a look. It's all interconnected. And like, it's a lot of it's broken now because I've just done sure. a lot of work on it over time. Um, but yeah, so did it happen overnight? Definitely not. Um, I think that segues really well into Kellen's next question. How did you know that it was time to quit your day job? So you know, you know when you're... I guess the, the, the right answer is that point at which your expenses from your portfolio um, safely for the rest of your life will cover your current or desired living expenses, um, ideally your desired um, living expenses. So as soon as you reach that point, you're technically financially independent and that's when you're supposed to know. But there's no easy way to, like there's no, you know, let's say that day was like January 3rd or something, you're not just going to go in and be like, peace right because you have relationships and, <laughs> you know you know a lot of people at your work and um, i mean you, you must have struggled in your like, mind at least for a while and oh, thought definitely. like you know when am i going to do this when is the right time like how am i going to approach my boss about this all that like uh yeah and so how did you approach your boss yeah so um it was one of those things where <laughs> it's kind of a, out of left field but like i don't know I, I just sort of what did you say you were going I, to I leave, leave really, to do like i didn't really even say i was pursuing financial independence because I didn't think they would understand. 
So, so I didn't even bother really giving them the full like. And I I had worked up this speech in my mind that it was like I am so done with all like and all the all the things that I didn't like about the organization, <laughs> was, like, all the times where I like bit my tongue or because I, I I needed my job to su- support this this goal right. So there's a lot of times where I wanted to throw in the towel or when things got crazy. But you know you um, you persevere and I think that um, I didn't think they would understand the whole financial independence thing. Um, well, like they, they still expect I'm... that I might come back. Like I remember like mentioning that I'm not really doing anything, and he was like, um, you know, he, he had said uh, something along the lines of like, oh, then you'll probably come back then, right? Like you might come back. And I'm like, yeah, I mean it's an option, but I don't think so. Like I'm probably gonna pursue something else. And he just didn't understand that. Like after six months, he thought the money's gonna run out or something. So yeah, I mean, it, it's hard to know exactly when that time is, and and then we also get into this, these type A personalities who've, who've reached these financial independence uh, places. We get into this, or I know I know I did anyway. Where I, is it enough? And I and I worry like, it, will it be enough? I don't know. What if what if a big downturn happens and we lose half of everything, and then my my daughter and my wife were all starving. So there was that fear of like, is four percent withdrawal rate uh, sustainable? And like obviously I'm doing like twenty percent on my properties, so. Um, I'm getting a way higher return than 4%. So I was like, yes, for sure. The answer is yes. And you could talk with, yeah. Well, so I'm just going to jump in really quickly. So if it turned out to not be enough, what's the worst case? You go back and get a job, isn't it? Yeah. And so I think that's so important to remind yourself, right? Is that just because you've hit financial independence and if you did hit financial independence and decide to retire early, there's, there's no rules. There's no retirement police out there that are going to, disbar you from ever earning active income again (laughs) and we can often get caught up in our minds because we've set this this goal right this end post and once we get there we don't want to ever have to run that marathon again but if it turned out you had to run a really quick another 100 meter sprint you could still do it yeah Yeah, i think there are a lot of people out there who who live semi-retirement um i've even met like people who are um like who work seasonally they work six months a year and they take six months off every single year. Yeah. They have many vacations and well, the four hour work week talks about many retirements, right? So like, like, yeah, they'll go away for three, six months every once in a while and live in another country. Like, like living, especially the idea of like earning us or Canadian dollars and then spending it in pesos or whatever. Right. Um, Yeah. So were there any uh, regrets that you had when it comes to quitting your job and retiring? Uh, Like no regrets at all. Um, at the time there were a lot of things like, I'm going to regret this or, you know, you, you built this fear mentality that like, you know, I'm making a mistake. If I throw this away, will I be able to bring, get this back? And, um, since I, since I quit my job, I took on a lot of real estate projects, but I've made just by freeing up my calendar of, of that 50 hour week, I've made like triple what I was making, um, there. So like, it's just weird that someone with financial independence quit their job and make triple just by freeing up their calendar. Um, yeah, that's more, than, awesome. more than triple maybe even now, depending on how these flips sell. But yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where sometimes you, it's unpredictable. you don't expect this, this to happen, but you just, you know, things fall in your lap and you, you, you work at it. And yeah. You, and so, uh, Kellen and I know this already, but so once you left, uh, full-time employment, you did jump into a lot of real estate projects, but then, they're kind of wrapping up now. So now you're starting to take vacations. What other, what else are some of the other passions you're hoping to kind of chase now that you're actually financially independent? What are you hoping to do with this free time? It's a good question. Um, I don't have a perfect answer, but right now there's, you know, I have passions around things like um, financial independence, right? And I'm an Excel junkie and I love helping people. Though so a big piece of, of what I want to do with my life is help people. 
Uh, I don't know if that's being like a financial advisor to people. Uh, I don't love the idea of like selling commissioned like MF, mutual funds, MFs. Um, yeah. And like taking some of that MER, it just feels wrong. But um, when it's when it's the exact opposite of what you've, what right? got you to where you are. Yeah. And I just, I don't agree with the industry really um, the way that they're going about it now. I, I do believe in fee-based advisory. Um, so probably uh, one piece of it is going to be helping people achieve financial independence, understand and respect it. Um, I'm big on like the, the living frugally. I like, I'd like to live like, let's say someone who spends 40 grand a year. I want to replicate that lifestyle for 24. Um, and it's totally doable by making a couple small choices. Um, like you can live in the identical house, like drive almost identical car, just be a little bit more frugal in like how you obtain your insurance or, you know, just shop for things a little bit more frugally. Um, so it's all about, it's all about, um, I think sharing in what I've kind of uncovered with people. Do you want to share a couple of tips then for our audience seeing how you're in a sharing mood? Um, <laughs> so what's a tip that uh, you'd like to share with the on fire audience? Sure. Um, there's a lot of little tips that, that I could share, but one that I'm going to share is yesterday. Um, again, I'll start with a, with a story and then I'll explain what the tip is. So yesterday, um, we we sold one of our properties, the flip that's been, you know, been trying to be sold for so long now. Um, sold multiple times and, and never closed, but it finally closed. It's like you know, six months of waiting for this thing to close. Finally closed, and uh, we wanted to celebrate. We're like, this is awesome. We're gonna pay back a lot of credit. We're gonna pay back some people that we owe money to. So we're gonna celebrate, right? And um, most people just say, let's go to like the keg and just live it up and, and enjoy it. Um, what my, my tip is, is before you're going to go somewhere, like we're like, where should we go? He said, Mario's, Jack Astor's, there's a few places on the way home. And, uh, we hadn't had Jack Astor's for a while. So we're like, oh, that's an awesome place. We'll, we'll go there and have a nice meal there. And, uh, I'm like, oh, well let's just go online and see where the coupons are. He said, Mario's, Jack Astor's. I do a quick search, Jack Astor's. I'm like, oh, the VIP club. If you spend 25, you get $10 off gift card. Um, and if you're celebrating something there, you also get a free dessert. So um, we combined both offers, and uh, we got a free free dessert, and we two of us ate for twenty five ten dollars <laughs> off, so it's fifteen bucks for us to go out with Emma, and we shared some of our meal with Emma as well, and we left with leftovers and dessert. So um, <laughs> you know you can go out and have a really awesome dinner. I'm sure the people next to me spent a hundred dollars. I seen them ordering nice drinks and a nice bunch of nice meals, and I'm sure they didn't have a coupon. So an example of something you can do to live. Like I'm, I'm sitting there next to you at Jack Astor's enjoying the same experience, you know, Joe, Joe X is Joe blow. Yeah. And he just spent a hundred and I spent, you know, tip and everything in maybe 20, $20. Um, yeah. To, to enjoy the same experience. So it's all about, for me, it's about value. I really yeah. appreciate the value. I don't want to sacrifice. Like I don't want to never go out to eat. That just sounds terrible. Um, yeah. I'd like to go out to eat, but just do it more, more in a more frugal way. Yeah. So that's a nice little tip is just find the frugal way to do something and, I apply that optimization to everything I do. I try to optimize it. If I'm going driving somewhere, like I'm like here today, I was on the way to a property and then on the way back, I hit this up. So I try to just yeah. plan my trips and just be really yes. efficient with how I do things and that I, mentality. That's something that a lot of us in the fire community love. It's just being efficient with resources, right? Yes. Yeah. So uh, basically we want to thank you, Mike, for being on the show. Uh, before we wrap up, were there any questions for the audience that you'd like to ask? Um, so this is you, your opportunity to just ask our audience anything you'd like. So Yeah, um, something I've been thinking about a lot and um, it's something I'm still struggling with and I don't have an answer for, but you know, what do you do when you get to that point where, um, so let's say you've, you've built financial independence for yourself, right? And you've got that you know, guaranteed 3.5% or 3% safe withdrawal rate. Um, type of net worth that can provide you know safely for your family at your current spending level 
you don't know what the future holds. You might want to go from having a lean fire to more of a fat fire scenario. How do you, the question is, um, how do you decide whether to keep pushing or not? What, what do you guys think about doing? So if you're at the position where you're financially independent, imagine that scenario for a minute and you had the opportunity, someone knocked on your door and said, Hey, I want to offer you a job at 300 grand a year doing something you're pretty good at, but it's going to be really hard. I'm going to push you 90 hours a week. You're going to have to make sacrifices with your family. Um, like personally, personally, I think the goal of financial independence is to give myself freedom and freedom is what I value most in life is time to be able to do what I want to do. And if the question is, would I spend my financial independent, my financially independent portion of my life doing what I don't want to do? The answer would be no. Um, if it's something that is interesting to me, something that I think I'm going to enjoy, um, but adds a bit of a challenge to my life and, it, and I, I think there's an opportunity for me to grow, that's something I would be interested in pursuing. But if it's just more grinding and more uh, uh, pursuing things that I don't want to be doing, then it's not something that I personally would be interested yeah, in. Yeah, it's, it's definitely an interesting question. I think it's one that a lot of us real estate investors find ourselves asking, when's enough? Particularly. What, what number of properties? What number of cash flow? What, what asset base? And so, yeah, I agree. This is a great question. And so we'd love to know what you, the listeners, think. Tell us on the London on Fire Facebook group. You can find us. Just search London on Fire either the hashtag or just write in those words and tell us what's enough to you. How do you know when you have enough? Is it a safe withdrawal rate? We'd love to know. And uh, yeah, thanks again, Michael. This was awesome. And thanks for having me. Guys. I think it's safe to say that you guys will be hearing more from Michael in the future. Absolutely. Definitely. And uh, yeah, otherwise make sure you check out his Facebook live updates. So best way to do that, I guess is just for them to add you on Facebook. Yeah. Just Michael Rosehart. Yeah, and check out our London on Fire uh, Facebook group. Michael posts there a lot, so do Matt and I, and there's a whole other community there that you can engage with. That was epic. I really hope you guys got value from it. I can't wait to see where he's going to be in 5, 10 years, and I'm sure we'll have him back on as a guest. Absolutely, and in the meantime, check us out on the London on Fire Facebook group, or you can find us on meetup.com, and as always, we're onfirepodcast.ca and make sure to tune in to our next episode where we interview Graham Stephan who at age 18 became a realtor in LA and a millionaire at age 26 you're not going to want to miss this so make sure that you subscribe yeah it's an amazing episode and thanks for listening this is Matt and Kellen signing off and until next episode remember being normal buying stuff doesn't make you happy and always remember what Will Rogers said Too many people spend money they haven't earned to buy things they don't want to impress people they don't like.